You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Morning, Harvest. Morning. Morning. If you've got your Bibles there, please go ahead and open them up to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and the letter to the Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church that was in Ephesus. And Ephesus in the ancient world was a big deal. This was the the wealthiest, really, of all the Roman cities, and it was like the tourist destination as well. And to this culture, Paul brings a word about marriage. Now, marriage in the city of Ephesus was not taken very seriously at all. Divorce was commonplace, and adultery was the norm. Adultery was expected. It was expected if you were married, you wouldn't just have one partner. And into this culture, the Apostle Paul brings a very different definition of what marriage is. And so as you're turning to Ephesians chapter 5, let me ask you, what is your personal definition of marriage? What is your definition of marriage? If I was to ask you, what's marriage? What would you say? What is your definition of marriage? Well, let's do this. On the count of three, we're all going to say our definition of marriage. Okay, ready? One, two, just kidding. Okay, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. But let me ask you, the definition of marriage that you had in your head, was Christ at the center of it? Is Christ at the center of your definition of marriage? Because look at verse 31, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. This is what Paul says. He says, Therefore... A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So Paul here, he's referring back to Genesis, and he's saying this. He's saying there's a mystery here. There's a secret here in marriage that has been revealed to me through the gospel, and it's blowing my mind. And keep this in mind. Paul wasn't married. So he wasn't wasn't excited about this truth because he was going to go home and apply it to his marriage. He's excited about this profound truth because it is so awesome. And here's the mystery. Here's the secret. Here's the truth. It's this, that marriage has always, always, always been a picture of Christ and the church. Always. Marriage was created by God in the garden as a picture of Jesus Christ and his church. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God said that it was not good that Adam was alone, that Adam needed a helper. So why would Adam need a helper? Well, here's the primary reason. It's because Adam needed someone to serve. Adam needed someone to love. Adam needed someone to sacrifice for to create a picture of Christ in the church. And Paul's like, that that mystery is profound. That right from the beginning, marriage has always been about Christ and his church, with the husband portraying the role of Christ and the wife portraying the role of the church. Let me ask you, is that how you think about marriage? As you came into the building this morning, you saw lots of marriages. Were you thinking, Christ in the church, Christ in the church, Christ in the church. Look, Christ in the church everywhere, Christ in the church. If you're married, is that how you think about your marriage? Husbands, did you wake up this morning and and remember that you're married and just fall to your knees and say, God, I, I, I need your help. I want to portray Christ in my marriage. I can't do that without you. Help me, God. Wives, 
Did you wake up this morning and remember that you're married and fall to your knees and say, God, I want to portray the church in my marriage today. Help me. I need you. I can't do this without you. Because this is the will of God for marriage. That husbands would portray Christ and, and wives would portray the church. Because when marriage is done this way, it screams to the world. There's a God and he has a bride that he loves profoundly, and her name is the church. This is why marriage exists. This is why God created it, to be a living picture of Christ and the church. So what's the problem then? Why is it that so many marriages in the church end up in so much trouble? Well, here's the first reason. The first reason is because so often our marriages are aimed at the wrong target, and we make it all about us, and not Christ and the church, and our personal fulfillment, and my personal happiness, and my personal desires being met, and the marriage turns into this kind of endless quest to try to get our spouses to do what we want, because we think that will make us happy, instead of aiming at the right target, which is to seek satisfaction in God alone, not in marriage. And then, and then pursuing God's design for marriage, which is creating a living picture of Christ and the church. That's the first reason why so many marriages end up in so much trouble. Here's the second. It's when we have the right target, and we're, we're trying to portray Christ in the church. We have the right target, but we have the wrong power, because we're trying really hard to do it in our own strength and not in the strength of the Holy Spirit. And where does that go? It goes nowhere. It goes nowhere fast. Because trying to do marriage apart from the power of the Holy Spirit is mission impossible. It really is. It's mission impossible. For a husband to accurately portray Christ in his marriage, he must be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's simply no other way it will happen. For a wife to accurately portray the church in her marriage, she must be filled with the Holy Spirit. There simply is no other way that it will happen. And when husbands and wives are filled with the Holy Spirit, that's when marriage stops being mission impossible and starts being mission possible. Which leads us right into our first point. You can jot this down. The essential command for every Christ follower Be filled with the Spirit. The essential command for every Christ follower, be filled with the Spirit. Have a look at verse 18. Verse 18, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, here we go. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And so what does that mean here in the context of Ephesians chapter 5? Be filled with the Spirit. Well, first we have to see this, that be filled with the Spirit is a command. It's something that we must do, not just once, but repeatedly. The literal translation would be, keep being filled with the Spirit again and again and again and again and again as a lifestyle. Be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. It's something we must do. Do that. Be filled with the Spirit. And yet, it's a command, but it's also passive, which means that it is something that is done to us. We don't fill ourselves, God does. So on the one hand, it's a command, be filled with the Spirit, do that. On the other hand, it's passive because God is the one who does the filling. And maybe at this point you're thinking, well, 
but didn't I already receive the Holy Spirit when I got saved? Like, didn't I already receive all of the Holy Spirit? And the answer, of course, is yes, you did. When you got saved, you didn't receive 10% of the Spirit or 30% of the Spirit or half the Spirit or 80%. You received all of the Holy Spirit. If you are in Jesus Christ, you have all of the Holy Spirit. But here's the question. You have all the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have all of you? Because this is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It means that he has all of you, that he has all of us. And so how does that happen? Well, look back at verse 18. Verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Do not get drunk with wine. God is using very intentional imagery here. Don't get drunk with wine. How does someone get drunk with wine? Well, first you have to go and you have to get wine, and then you have to drink lots of the wine, and then that's how someone gets drunk. And and what does that mean that they're drunk? Well, it means that they are under the influence and the control of alcohol. The alcohol takes control of how they think. It takes control of how they walk. It takes control of what they say. It takes control of what they do, and not for the better, but far, far for the worse. So here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, don't be under the influence and the control of alcohol. Instead, be under the influence and the control of the Holy Spirit. And listen, this is not a command for some like small group of spiritually elite super Christian. Okay? This is a command for everyone, for all of us, for all believers, all Christ followers. Be filled with the Spirit. This is to be normal Christianity. Be filled with the Spirit, because if we're not, then the whole Christian life, never mind just marriage, but the whole Christian life becomes mission impossible, because all of the power to live the Christian life flows to us from the Holy Spirit. So how then do we go about obeying this command, be filled with the Spirit? When I was a kid, my parents would send me away to summer camp uh, right from the end of June until the end of August. And it kind of sounds like they're shipping me away. I, I just kind of thought of that now. Uh, maybe they were. Uh, but, but I loved camp. I loved it. And the reason I loved it so much, one of the reasons is I loved windsurfing. I just loved windsurfing. And one thing you figure out pretty quickly about windsurfing is that if you want to actually go anywhere, you have to learn how to use the sail. So you have to learn how to balance on the board. You have to learn how to lift the sail up when it's submerged in the water. And then you have to learn to position it so it gets filled with wind. It's not enough to just say to the sail, be filled with wind. That doesn't work. You have to position it so it gets filled with wind so that you then move forward. And the Christian life really is so much like that. Consider how Luke described the moving of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. He said this. He said, and suddenly... There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Or consider how Jesus described the moving of the Spirit in John chapter 3. He said, the wind blows. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. Again and again in the Bible, we see the working and the moving of the Holy Spirit being compared to wind, invisible, powerful, active. And if you and I want to be filled with the Spirit, if we want to be under the influence and control of the Holy Spirit, then we must learn how to raise a spiritual sail, so to speak, so that the wind of the Spirit can fill it and move us forward in our Christian lives. 
Because when we do that, our Christian lives look a whole lot like this up on the screen. Notice, in the water, can't do anything, can't move forward, but look, positioning the sail, the wind is starting to catch it, pulling him up onto the board, and now it's going to actually propel him forward uh, through the ocean. How do we do that spiritually? How do we raise a sail, so to speak, for the Spirit to fill? Here's how. Here's how. By pursuing a lifestyle of prayer, by pursuing a lifestyle of faith, and by pursuing a lifestyle of war. By pursuing a lifestyle of prayer, by pursuing a lifestyle of faith, and by pursuing a lifestyle of war against sin. This is how we raise a spiritual sail. This is how we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So here's the first part of our three-part sail up on the screen. It's this. It's a lifestyle of prayer. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit. Praying at all times. That doesn't mean like 24 hours a day doing nothing but prayer, but praying all the time. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's part of your life every day. Praying at all times in the Spirit, according to the will of the Spirit, according to the revealed will of God from His Word. And here's something we need to be praying for. Uh, Luke eleven thirteen. Jesus said this. He said, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is what we need in order to be filled with the Spirit. We have to live a lifestyle of prayer and, and making sure to ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit. Here's the second part of our three-part sale. It's a lifestyle of faith. A lifestyle of faith, Galatians 3.5. Paul asks a question. He says, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul's asking a rhetorical question here. He's saying, does God supply the power of the Holy Spirit to you because you try really hard in your own strength to keep the law? Is that what he does? Or does God supply the power of the Holy Spirit to you because you hear the word of God and you believe it, hearing with faith? And of course, the answer is God supplies the power of his Holy Spirit to us as we hear the word of God and believe it, as we saturate our lives with the word of God and believe it, hearing with faith. That's the second part of the sale if we want to be filled with the Spirit. Here's the third part. It's a lifestyle of war, a lifestyle of war against sin. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. The imagery there is uh, don't quench a fire by pouring water on it. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't quench the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. How do you quench the power of the Holy Spirit? By walking deliberately in patterns of sin. Don't quench the Spirit. Make war against sin. Do not quench the Spirit. Galatians 5.17 for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. This is what's happening within every single Christ follower. The, the flesh, the sin in us is saying, go this way, go this way, go this way. The spirit inside of us is saying, go this way, go this way, go this way. And we must learn to yield. We must learn to give ourselves over to the desires of the Holy Spirit. But what happens when we don't do that? Here's what we must do. 1 John 1, 9. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's the three parts of our spiritual sale. A lifestyle of prayer, a lifestyle of faith, and a lifestyle of war. This is what we must do if we want to be filled with the Spirit. So let me ask you three questions. Here's the first question. Are you living a lifestyle of prayer? Are you living a lifestyle of prayer? Are you spending extended periods of time with the Lord in prayer? Because we won't be filled with the Spirit apart from spending time with God. We just won't. Second question. Are you living a lifestyle of faith? Are you spending extended periods of time with God in his word and really seeking to believe his word when God tells you who he is and when God tells you what he has done for you in the gospel and when God tells you what he's promised you both for today and for eternity? Does that describe you? Because we won't be filled with the spirit apart from spending time with the Lord in his word. Third question. Are you living a lifestyle of war against sin? Are you seeking to rid your life of patterns of sin? Are you fleeing temptation? Are you giving yourself over to the desires of the Holy Spirit? Are you confessing sin? Is that your lifestyle? Because we won't be filled with the Spirit apart from making war on sin. This is how we are filled with the Spirit. By pursuing a lifestyle of prayer, a lifestyle of faith, and a lifestyle of war. So if that's how we are filled with the Spirit, here's the next question. How do I know when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? How do I know when I'm filled with the Spirit? Well, look at verse 18. Verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now here's some evidence that you are. Verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here we see four evidences that someone is filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the first one up on the screen. It's love. It's love. So when someone is pursuing a lifestyle of prayer and a lifestyle of faith and a lifestyle of war, they will be filled with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit will then be producing in them this first evidence, which is love. Have a look back at verse 19. Verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Addressing one another in psalms. Okay, here's what that does not mean. It doesn't mean walking up to someone and saying, hey, hey, how you doing? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay, that would just be weird. That would be weird. Don't do that. Okay, that's not, that's not what this means. Addressing one another in hymns. It's not like, hey, how you doing? High five. Holy, holy, ho-. that's weird too. That's especially weird. Don't do that. Okay, that's not what this is talking about. Addressing one another in psalms and in hymns means to address one another with the truth that you found in the psalms. It's speaking the truth in love. You're speaking truth to people because you care, because you love them, because you want to honor the Lord. Ask yourself, is that me? Is that me? Am I someone who is sharing the truth of God's word with other people because they genuinely care? Because that's an evidence that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the second evidence. It's joy. Joy, look at the second half of verse 19, notice, singing 
and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Does that describe you? Do you have joy? Do you have a song to the Lord in your heart? As you're going throughout your day, you often catch yourself just singing a song of worship because you've got a song in your heart to the Lord. That's evidence that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the third evidence. Gratitude. Gratitude. Look at verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you someone who's filled with gratitude? Are you kind of going throughout your day and you're just like overwhelmed? You're just like, thank you, God. I, I, I know what I deserve. I deserve your wrath, but here I am and you've given me everything. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Is that you? Is there gratitude in your heart? Because that's evidence that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's our last one. Ah, ah, have a look at verse 21. Ah of Jesus Christ. Notice, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that term reverence for Christ means the fear of Christ. It means the fear of the Lord. It means being in awe of Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of uh, reverence to Christ. This is the person who has a servant heart, who, who is looking for opportunities to serve others because they are in awe of Jesus Christ. Does that describe you? Do you have a servant heart? Are you looking for opportunities to serve others because you are in awe of Jesus Christ. Ask yourself, do these four evidences describe me? Is there love and joy and gratitude and awe of Jesus Christ in my heart? Am I someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit? Because I think for many of us, including myself, if we're honest, if we're honest, I think we'd say most of the time, not nearly as much as I want to be. Not nearly as much as I want to be. And so what do we need to do? We need to be filled with the Spirit by, by raising up a spiritual sail, by pursuing a lifestyle of prayer and a lifestyle of faith and a lifestyle of making war on sin. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit will fill us and produce in us love and joy and gratitude and awe of Jesus Christ in our hearts. Therefore, the essential command for every Christ follower is this, be filled with the Spirit. So question, how does this all relate to marriage? Well, so glad you asked. So glad you asked. That leads us into our second point, which is this. You can jot this down. The overflow of the Spirit's filling, wives who portray the church. The overflow of the Spirit's filling, wives who portray the church. Have a look at verse 22. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So here's what we need to see first, because everything in verse 22 rests on this fact, that in the Greek, verse 21 and verse 22 are the same thought. They are not different thoughts. They flow right into one and the other. And so here's how it reads in the Greek. Verse 21 and 22 says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to their husbands as to the Lord. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to their husbands as to the Lord. So why is that important? Here's why it's important. Because just like, like submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is an evidence of being filled with the Spirit, so is wives submitting to their husbands as unto the Lord is evidence of being filled with the Spirit. So here's what that means up on the screen. It means this. 
It means that the wife who is pursuing a lifestyle of prayer and a lifestyle of faith and a lifestyle of, of war against sin will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will produce in her love and joy and gratitude and awe. And then the Spirit will empower her to live out Mission Impossible, which is verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And I know that for some right now, that word submit is like hearing nails on a chalkboard. But here's what we need to see. That biblical submission is actually a beautiful thing. It's a precious thing. And here's why. Because before it was ever a marriage thing, it was first a God thing. Because there is submission within the Trinity. God the Son submits to God the Father. God the Holy Spirit submits to God the Father and God the Son. And consider this, that without submission, without the Son submitting to the will of the Father, there would be no salvation for us in this room here this morning. We would be lost apart there from being submission in the Godhead. So submission is beautiful first and foremost because it's a God thing. It originates in the Trinity but secondly, submission is also beautiful because it's a Christian life thing. The whole Christian life is a life of surrender. Again, verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This applies to every single Christ follower. Submit to one another. Put others first. Serve others out of uh, reverence for Christ because you, you fear the Lord. That's the whole Christian life. It's a life of submission. And when the church does this, when the church joyfully submits to Christ, it is a beautiful thing. We call that worship. It's a beautiful thing. It is good. It is right because it glorifies Jesus Christ as worthy. It is beautiful to see the church submitting to Jesus Christ and putting that beauty on display Everywhere is what verses 22 through 24 are all about. Have a look at verse 22 again. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. In other words, God's design for marriage is that wives would display the beauty of the church submitting to Jesus Christ by the way they interact with their husbands in marriage. And so what does that look like practically? Well, let's begin with this, with what it doesn't look like. Here's what biblical submission does not look like. It doesn't look like this. It doesn't look like inequality, okay? Husbands and wives, men and women, equal before the Lord, equal in worth, equal in value. It's not inequality. It's not fear. It's not a husband who is intimidating his wife and the wife being okay with that because that's, no, no, that's not okay. That is not biblical submission. It's not doing whatever the husband says. No, no, it's, it's doing whatever Christ says. Not whatever the husband says. It's not, it's not following the husband's instructions to sin. That is not biblical submission. It, a wife needs to follow Christ and surrender to his will. It is not being a doormat for an abusive husband. That is the opposite of biblical submission. If there is abuse happening within a marriage, that needs to get brought out into the light. That needs to be brought to the attention of a pastor or an elder or even sometimes the police. That is the opposite of biblical submission. 
Biblical submission is not never sharing an opinion. Husbands need to hear their wives' opinions. Husbands need to receive wisdom from their wives. It's not never confronting a husband. Sometimes wives need to confront their husbands. I'm so blessed when my wife confronts me. I need that. That's grace upon my life. And it's not never seeking to influence the husband. Wives ought to be seeking to influence their husbands for the good all the time. That is not what biblical submission looks like. And so if that's not biblical submission, then what is biblical submission? Well, it's this. Biblical submission is spirit-filled wives voluntarily placing themselves under God's design for marriage by biblically submitting to their husbands as an offering of worship to Jesus Christ. Let's go through that slowly. First, spirit-filled wives voluntarily, not forced, not forced, voluntarily placing themselves under God's design for marriage by biblically submitting to their husbands as an offering of worship to Jesus Christ, not to the husband. And so what does that look like practically? It looks like this. A spirit-filled wife will joyfully support and follow her husband's leadership as imperfect as that's going to be. All right? Uh, it, it looks like a spirit-filled wife will faithfully seek her husband's good, especially his eternal good. A spirit-filled wife will be intentional about showing her husband respect, and she will do these things all for the glory of Jesus Christ. And she will do it whether her husband is a kind man or a difficult man. Whether he's a spiritually mature man or a spiritually immature man. Whether he's a man who is wise or a man who is prone to foolishness. Speaking of foolishness, I'm going to share with you uh, this morning some of my own epic husband fails. Okay, Epic, and I, I mean it. I mean it. Here's the first one. Um, just, I was just recently uh, saved and, and reading the Bible for the first time. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And, and so every page of the Bible literally is the first time I've ever read it. It's, a, it's a, an adventure. I'm just, I'm just devouring the Bible. I'm sitting there reading it for four or five hours a day, and it's just incredible. I get to the book of Ephesians. I get to chapter 5. I get to verse 22. Wives submit to their husbands as to the Lord. I'm like, what? <laughs> really? I, mean, I have no idea what biblical submission is at all. I have a very worldly view of the world's submission. And so, and so I'm reading this, I'm like, wow, I wonder if my wife Natasha has ever read this before. I mean, this is going to change everything. Fast forward a little bit to the next argument that we had. I say this to my shame. I calmly went and got my Bible, flipped to Ephesians chapter 5, pointed to verse 22 and said, hey, have you ever read this before? I say that to my shame, to my shame, because the motivation behind that was pure 100% selfishness. Husbands, never do that. Never do that, because the voluntary submission of a wife is a deeply personal act of worship between her and her Savior and is never something that is to be demanded by the husband for selfish gain. Not ever, not ever. Biblical submission is an act of worship by spirit-filled wives. And if you are a wife here today, would you say that you are passionate about living out the role that God has given you in your marriage for His glory? And maybe you're here today and you're thinking, well, I'd like to be in that place, but I'm just not there. I mean, 
You don't know my husband. He's got some issues, all right? And I've heard that before, trust me. But keep this in mind. Apart from the working of the Holy Spirit, being a wife is mission impossible. You can't do it. Apart from the Spirit, you won't have the desire to do it, and you won't have the power to do it. Uh, but, but thankfully, God has given us the solution. He, he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Here's what he says. Be filled with the Spirit. Lift up a spiritual sail by pursuing a lifestyle of prayer and faith and war, and he will fill you with the Spirit and produce in you love and joy and gratitude and awe of Jesus Christ and empower you to do mission impossible and portray the role of the church in your marriage more and more and more for his glory. The overflow of the Spirit's filling is wives who portray the church. And that leads us to our final point. Husbands, you know what's coming next, right? Point number three. Here we go. You could jot this down. The overflow of the Spirit's filling, husbands who portray Christ. The overflow of the Spirit's filling, husbands who portray Christ. Christ. Have a look at verse 25. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So God's command to husbands is to love their wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? We'll look again at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, notice, and gave himself up for her. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her. And how did he do that? Here's how. By giving himself up to Good Friday. Jesus Christ gave himself up to be arrested by soldiers. He gave himself up to be whipped with the equivalent of razor blades. He gave himself up to carrying a heavy wooden cross through the streets of Jerusalem. He gave himself up to laying down on that cross and having men drive spikes through his wrists and then through his ankles. He gave himself up to being lifted up naked before a mocking crowd and having his weight fall down upon those nails. He gave himself up to taking upon himself every sin of his church, every sin of everyone who would ever place their faith in him. He gave himself up to having the wrath of God that this church deserves poured out upon on him until the sin of his church was paid for in full. He gave himself up to set his church free from sin and death, to perfect her and to bring her to himself in glory forever. This is how Jesus Christ gave himself up for his bride. So husbands, with me, with me, look to the cross, look to the nails, look to the blood, look to the wrath, Look to the agony. Look to the sacrifice. Look at how much God loves you. Receive that love with all your heart. Meditate on it. Beg that God would supernaturally cause you to comprehend it. And then pour that same love out upon your wife. Move through the everyday moments of your marriage asking yourself this question. What does it look like to love my wife right now? What does it look like to love my wife right now? What does it look like to love my wife right now? And then do it. Because you are overwhelmed by the love of Jesus Christ displayed in all that he has done. And what has he done for his church? Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her 
having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus Christ gave himself up to bring about the greatest possible good of his bride. And that is what God commands from every husband, including me, to give ourselves up in every conceivable way for the greatest possible good of our wives and husbands. If you're anything like me, then you know you fail at this all the time. Epic husband fail number two. Fourteen years ago, my wife decided that she was going to run her first half marathon. And uh, so we drive to Ottawa to where the half marathon is, and the half marathon also happens to be on her very first Mother's Day. So a pretty big deal. She says, Nathan, can you meet me at the 11-kilometer mark? That's halfway. Meet me at the 11-kilometer mark. Here's my water. Here's my gels. I'm going to drink the water. going to eat the gels. going to be replenished for the rest of the race. I said, sure, no problem. So then she takes off. One kilometer, two, three, four, running past Gatorade stations and water stations. I don't need that. My husband's going to meet me at the 11 kilometer mark. You see where this is going, don't you? <laughs> Five kilometers, six kilometers, it gets, it gets 10, 11, and where's, where, no, I'm not there. I'm not there. At 12, maybe, maybe he'll be at 13. I'm not there. 14, 15, anger is now starting to rise. 16, 17, no Nathan. 18, and there I am. I'm like, hey, how you doing? Got your water, got your gels. Here's what she did. She ran right by me. <laughs> not a happy jogger. Where was I? I don't even know. <laughs> I think I just got distracted epic husband fail on my wife's first Mother's Day. Epic husband fail. A couple months later, it was her birthday. So I thought this would be a really good gift up on the screen. <laughs> Wives, is that a good gift? That is not a good gift. That is a horrible gift. Because what, what does that communicate? You need some work, right? <laughs> Epic husband fail. That is not what love looks like. That is not what love looks like, okay? What does love look like? It looks like this. Biblical love. A spirit-filled husbands voluntarily placing themselves under God's design for marriage by giving themselves up for the greatest possible good of their wives as an offering of worship to Jesus Christ. And how is that going to happen? Here's how it's going to happen. It's as a, as a husband pursues a lifestyle of prayer and a lifestyle of faith and a lifestyle of war, he will be filled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will produce in him then love and joy and gratitude and awe and then empower him to do Mission Impossible and love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And he'll do that whether his wife is kind or difficult whether she is spiritually mature or spiritually immature, whether she is wise or prone to foolishness, it doesn't matter. A spirit-filled husband will love his wife because of the love and the joy and the gratitude and the awe of Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit has worked in his heart. And so what does that look like practically? It looks like this. A spirit-filled husband will pursue friendship with his wife. He will seek to be his wife's best friend. He will want that. 
A spirit-filled husband will seek to serve his wife. He'll look for opportunities to serve her. He will speak words that build up. He will seek to be encouraging to his wife. He will express gratitude. He will think about all the things that his wife does for him, and he will, he will go out of his way to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. He will be gentle with his wife. He won't be harsh. He won't raise his voice at his wife. He will pray for his wife every day and pray with his wife. He will study the word of God with his wife, not so that he can preach at her, but so they can, they can share the word of God together. He will study his wife. Husbands, could you fill in this blank? My wife feels most loved when I... Because we only discover that answer by studying our wives. I have to ask Natasha that all the time because I keep forgetting. Husbands, if you don't know, ask your wife. Study your wife. Spiritual husbands will ask for forgiveness when they sin. They will be quick to forgive when they're sinned against. They will seek the wisdom of their wives. Husbands, we need to seek the wisdom of our wives. And a spiritual husband will provide for his wife as best he can, and he will protect her both spiritually and physically even if it means he dies. This is what a spirit-filled husband will do. And as I just read that list out loud, I'm like, man, I need to be filled with the Spirit. I want to be that man. I want to be that man. What happens when spirit-filled husbands love their wives this way? Well, look at verse 28. Verse 28, look at this. In the same way, in the same way, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. So here's what Paul is saying. He's saying when a spirit-filled husband loves his wife in a way, he's actually loving himself. Not in a, not in a selfish way, but, but in, a, in a good way, in a God-honoring way. Because as he loves his wife, he's strengthening his marriage. He's blessing his wife, which in turn will bless him. So husbands, are you passionate about portraying the role of Christ in your marriage? Are you passionate about portraying the role that God himself has given you in your marriage? And maybe you're thinking, well, man, I'd, I'd love to be in that place, but I'm just not there. I mean, you don't know my wife. She's got issues. I've heard that before too, okay? But listen, listen. Apart from the Spirit, being a husband is mission impossible. Husbands, I hope you know this. We can't do it. Apart from the Spirit, we won't have the desire and we won't have the power to do this. But thankfully, God has given us the solution. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. He commands us, be filled with the Spirit. Lift up a spiritual sail by pursuing a lifestyle of prayer and faith and making war on sin. And He will fill us and produce in us love and joy and gratitude and awe of Jesus Christ and empower us to do what we can't do and, and portray the role of Christ in our marriages again for his glory. And we'll close here where we began with Paul revealing to us the profound mystery he discovered, this awesome secret that God revealed to him about marriage through the gospel. Look at verse 31. So Paul says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. 
And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And now in light of that truth, verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And how do we do that? There is only one way. We must be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray. Let's pray. So Father, you have commanded us today what to do. You've commanded us, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. So God, would you, would you move in our hearts even right now and bring about a surrender? A surrender. That, yes, I will pursue being filled with the Spirit. God, would you bring about a surrender to a lifestyle of prayer? Would we be a people who are truly pursuing you in prayer, that we'd have a lifestyle of prayer? God, would you bring about surrender to your will, that we would be blessed and you would be glorified? God, would you bring about a surrender to a lifestyle of faith, that, that you, would, you would move in our hearts even right now and produce in us a desire to be in your word and to be pursuing, a believing your word. And God, would you, would you do that for your own glory and so that we would be blessed? God, would you work in our hearts and bring about a surrender to having a lifestyle of making war on our sin? Would you, would you stir in us right now that, yes, this is right, this is good, I must do this, I must go to war against patterns of sin? Would you, would you produce that in us? Yes, today. But God, we don't want to just be filled today. We want to be filled every day. And so would you bring about a surrender in our lives to this command, be filled with the Spirit. Would we be a people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and would we see you produce in us love and joy and gratitude and awe of Jesus Christ that leads to those who, of us, uh, who are married to living out mission impossible in our marriages for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.